You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2022. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching, we are talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. Hello, how are you? As you know, for me, it is always such a pleasure to be in your company to share some time with you on Tuesdays or whatever day of the week you're listening to this and have a good time and talk about the things that we need to talk about, about what it feels like to be Jewish in 22 and beyond. And wow, today is quite the eye opening episode. You will take something from today's episode, guaranteed. We are talking about fighting for a better Judaism. There's so many wonderful things about being Jewish. You know, I've said this so many times, how lucky I feel to be Jewish, how Jewish rituals saved me when my mom died last year, how Jewish tradition is such a big part of my life and my children's lives and my husband's life. And just, you know how much I love being Jewish and all the good things, but there are some things that are going wrong in the Jewish world in 22. And I thought it'd be great to get Shoshana Keats Jaskal on today. She's a writer and activist, and I wanted to talk to her about how we can fix the things that are going wrong. So what are some of the things that are going wrong in my eyes? Well, judgment, Jews judging each other, why we need to stop that. There's also a big thing that Shoshana is working on and has made changes with is the erasure of women by Jewish extremists. A really, really interesting discussion and eye-opening stuff that Shoshana talked about. We also talked about Israel and our strategy for talking about Israel and what you can take from this when you talk about Israel with your non-Jewish friends. It's always an issue that I'm hearing about. How do I talk about Israel I'm not a representative of the Israeli government. I feel really uncomfortable about it. So we talked about that. You'll take something away from that. And we also talked about why we should feel empowered to own our own version of Jewishness. We need to feel, I'll say that again, we need to feel empowered to own our own Judaism. Such an interesting one. And Shoshana has done so much good work to advance the rights of Jewish women in the Orthodox community. And she shared some really great advice on how we can come together as a unified Jewish people, even when we disagree. So whatever your place in the Jewish world, this is such an important conversation. It's filled with so much wisdom about how to stop being a bystander and make change happen. I know you're going to love it. As always, I'd love it if you would review the episode. It means that so many more people will find the podcast if you leave a review on Apple or whatever platform you use. And do tell me if you have anything more to say about the conversation by DMing me at Your Jewish Life and telling me what you thought of today's episode or contributing any thoughts. I always love to hear from you. So let's dive in with Shoshana. Welcome to the podcast, Shoshana. I know we're going to have a lot of fun today as well as a lot of real talk 
and tears, laughter. I'm expecting the works. <laughs> I am so excited. I'm also a little bit afraid because I have a feeling I'm going to tell you whatever you want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, this is a no filter zone. This is also a no judgment zone. So one of the things I've, yeah. I pride myself in, on my platforms is there's no judgment. And in fact, that's kind of connects me to sort of where I wanted to start with all this. We've got a lot to talk about and a lot that yeah. I selfishly want to ask you. And I'm sure the listeners want to hear what I want to know. But when I was doing research, I was obviously looking at your website and one of the lines there spoke to me that I thought was a great place to start. You do so many things, but I think this kind of sums it up on your website. It says, SKJ fights for a better Judaism by highlighting where things go wrong and working towards change on the ground. So it's a bit of a loaded question, but where are things going wrong in Judaism in 2022? And let me just caveat this by saying how much we both love being Jewish. And like I oh, think yeah. you've said so many times, it's 95% love, 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 love. But I'll let you take over. Right, you really did your research. <laughs> I'm really impressed. I like when people quote me and I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. But <laughs> those two things I actually remember. So first of all, I think what's really amazing about being Jewish is how all-encompassing it is to your life, right? Like, I don't, I mean, I've never been Christian that I'm aware of, at least not in this life. So I don't know if being another religion or nationality is so all-encompassing. I'm sure it's, it varies for different people, but as a Jew who is, I'm culturally, historically, religiously, I'm so Jewish in every way that there's actually so, there's really no aspect of my life that isn't touched by being a Jew. And obviously I'm a religious Jew. For those of you who don't, you know, can't see me or don't know who I am, I, I cover my hair and I wear skirts and um, I wasn't always religious. I grew up not religious, but I always grew up being very Jewish. Okay. So there's a difference or there's an overlap or however you say of being Jewish and being a religious Jew. It doesn't always converge. It oftentimes overlaps. Sometimes it actually, ironically, I can't that's heads, that's heads. think of the word I'm yeah. trying to say, but I'm using yeah. hand motions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they conflict sometimes because you're on the one hand, you're what you feel is a Jewish value is kind of maybe it's like coming against what you feel like you should be supposed to be doing, supposed to be in quotes in the religious society. And I think one of the things that's really important for me is to differentiate between what people do and what religion says, right? Mm -hmm. Or God says, mm -hmm. and it's really not the same thing. And so if someone, for example, conflates or sees rabbis as God or rabbis as Judaism, you're going to be disappointed because rabbis are human beings, right? So when you ask like, what is Judaism doing wrong? So I just want to make it clear that it's kind of like, what are Jews doing wrong? You know, like what, what's, what's yeah, happening with yeah. us right now that we have to fix? And I would say, like any human beings, there's things that we do amazing and there's things that we kind of screw up. And yeah. so I see my responsibility, both Jewishly and humanly, as to be like, okay, here's my tribe. What's my tribe getting right? And how can I help? And what's it getting wrong? And what do I need to kind of put my voice into and say, hey guys, like we're getting a little bit off track here, whether it's women's rights, whether it's, you know, look, I mean, let's just bring it, let's just start with the controversy in the States right now, unfortunately, you know, they're talking about overturning Roe versus Wade. And to be honest, when it comes to abortion, Judaism actually is not black or white. Judaism says it really depends on what's happening in that context and what's going to happen with that woman in that pregnancy, yes. that woman in that pregnancy at that time. And so that's what's really beautiful about Judaism is that the same act or the same concern or the same 
what you think is the same situation is actually never, ever, ever the same because time changes, people change and context changes. And that's one of the things I love so much about Judaism is that you're never going to get the same answer because things are not always the same. And when we make things black and white and when we remove context from things and we take away nuance and, and variables, so you get a very distilled and an honestly false sense of life. So in Judaism, it's not a black and white thing with abortion. And so what, what's, what's terrifying to me and what I've been seeing lately is people pontificating about what Judaism says about abortion. And anyone who starts a sentence like that is mm-hmm. automatically wrong. Yeah. Like you're wrong because there's not one thing that Judaism says. And so without getting into a whole abortion debate, the point is that sometimes what happens is that my culture or my society or my politics will kind of overtake my religion and we as human beings make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so what I try very hard to do in everything that I do is separate, which people don't really like because who wants to think hard? Nobody wants to think hard. Just tell me the answer. (laughs) Exactly. And I want to say, listen, it's not always so simple. We actually have to have a conversation. We have to hear each other and we have to speak so that the other person can hear us. So what's going wrong, Judy? That's a very long answer to your question. I super apologize. You can always snap at me and get me back. No, it's all good stuff. Um, I would say that we are becoming, we are learning to be polarized. Mm. And that's really, really bad. To polarize, look, if you even open a page of the Talmud, you don't have to know what's happening to know that there are so many different opinions. The whole point of Judaism and the Jewish religion is yes, number one, we have to listen to the morals and ethics that God tells us. But we also, God gave us intellect. There's a reason. Why do we have intellect? So that we talk, so that we think, so that we make decisions. And that whole back and forth and listening and learning and compromising is so super Jewish. And we're kind of getting away from that, which is really a big problem. Yeah. Do you think that's a reflection on societies, how American society I know is becoming more divisive? We're not a politics space, but I know BB was creating division. I mean, is that, is this just a reflection of modern society? Do you think it's something that we as Jews are, it's just an evolving, like what, why do you think we're getting to? I definitely think that it's a reflection of what's going on around us. I mean, I don't mean that to blame other people because ultimately every human being is responsible for their own actions. But I think, and the whole point of Judaism is, oh, we've never been monks in a monastery that's not Jewish, right? In Judaism, you're supposed to live in the world and we're supposed to take our values and bring them to the world. But part of living in the world is that we also get influenced mm-hmm. and people kind of don't want to hear that. Like they want to think that Judaism has always been pure and orthodoxy has always been pure, but it's not true. I mean, we're super influenced. We're super, and and that's not a bad thing. We're human beings. We live in the world. Once we left the Garden of Eden, like that's it. All bets are off. You know, like we're part of the human condition. And I do think we are influenced very much by what's going on in the outside world. And and I think what's beautiful about um, a lot of the, like like Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, um, who unfortunately passed away, you know, last year, one of the things he really tried to do was to really hone down in on us how important nuance is, how important context is, how important it is. I find shocking that people lose friends over politics. Oh, that yeah. is and a family new thing. relationships as yeah, well. I'm yeah. I, yeah. Ra- That's uh, new. Chief Rabbi uh, Mervis, I don't know if you heard this week, said that Jewish unity is essential to guarantee Jewish survival, funnily enough. 
So it's obviously on on everybody's mind. So yeah. how can we how can we unite better as one? Oh my goodness. If I had the answer to that, that's the million dollar question. No, I, I think first of all, it's true. I, I, and, and I don't think you have to look beyond the Tanakh. If you look at Jewish history written in, how do you say Tanakh in English? Um, oh my goodness. The, uh, the prophets and the writings that yeah. come after the Torah. So if you look at the his, Jewish history, you will see every single time we are destroyed, it's because we're fighting with each other. Yeah, and there is nothing that destroys Jews more. It's actually I wrote a whole article about this. You did. I actually oh, we'll link yeah, to it in the show notes. Yeah, I have to. It was in the Jewish Chronicle in the UK. I wrote, "Thank you, anti-Semites, for giving us an enemy because without an enemy, Jews destroy each other." <laughs> like you we that? seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. We seriously, wow. we are naturally argumentative, but in Judaism, in the, in the history of Jews, we have a lot of different opinions. But one of those beautiful examples. And everyone should really think how interesting this is. There was um, a house of Hillel. Hillel was a, a sage and Shammai, who was also a sage. And they were contemporaries and they disagreed on everything. Like legit. Like Hillel said, we like the candles of Hanukkah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And Shammai said, no, it's eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> and they disagreed on everything. And they always had a what's called a machloket, which is a disagreement. Okay. But their children married into one another. And they were the best of friends. Mm. And Hillel's uh, decisions or his opinions were, I think, except three times in all of the decisions they ever made. Because every time there was something to find out, they both had you know, opinions. And, and basically every time Hillel was right or Hillel's was accepted. Why? The Torah says because he always told, Shah, he always said Shammai's opinion first. And he always let him speak first. And he was basically the bigger mensch. Yes. And here is a lesson that is written down 2000 years ago, that is still the truest thing today and that we need to learn from. You don't have to, agree. you will never agree with anyone all the time. You can't. And that's normal. We want different opinions, different ways of living, different ways of being. It's the council yes. culture, well, isn't it? Just because you someone has yes. a different opinion doesn't mean that they don't belong in your life or they don't they don't have a respect for that opinion, that way of living. So yeah, I so think the answer to your question is how do we stay unified? Is that we, we ourselves sometimes have to bite our tongues and be okay with not agreeing with everyone all the time. We have to love the other person, even if they vote for different people. Even if they think black is white sometimes. No, it what doesn't about mean... gatekeeping, you know, Jewish gatekeeping? You know, somebody decides that they can't fast on Yom Kippur for, for health reasons or for any other reasons that they choose. And None of my some, business. Some, some people in the community might say that's wrong, you know, and that kind of you do, you're Jewish, you've got to take the good with the bad, you, got, you know, and of course that's how they think. And, you know, but we do have Jewish people with one partner's Jewish one isn't this and that I can still practice this you know there's so many ways to be Jewish and that's okay and it's a wonderful thing and it's evolving so you know what can we do for more harmony with with within you know not to judge one another so much do you think it's an interesting question because I think there's two angles to that I think number one every single human being needs to just recognize that the only thing that they are responsible for is their own behavior the only opinion that matters, right? Obviously, if you're married, your opinion matters, you know, to your spouse. But at the end of the day, what someone else does, fast, doesn't fast, marries, that's not your problem, right? Like, let God, God's big enough to handle these issues. If you believe in God, 
then you know that God's big enough to handle these issues. And it's not your problem. Mm. It's really not. So you, as whatever your relationship is with that person, you have to be the best you can be to that person. And that's your job. Your job isn't to be God. Your job isn't to tell them what to do. Your job isn't to tell them they're doing something wrong. Unless and until, only time I will say that's not true, is if they're hurting someone else. Mm. If you know someone who's harming someone else, then you need to seek advice as to how to deal with that situation. But if that person doesn't live the way you you would want to live, or they don't love the way you want to love, it's really none of your business. It, it just has nothing to do with you. And how would you respond to someone that, you know, because some of our listeners, some of our audience on Instagram, they, they share with me that, you know, they, they feel inferior sometimes when they're told, you know, these sort of comments, what would you, how would you respond? What do you think is a clever way to respond to someone that may be judging them for not being Jewish enough or whatever the phrase is? First of all, do not feed the trolls yeah. is a really important well, thing to yeah, learn. Yeah, yeah. At the same time, if you're hurt and you feel that you need to hear from someone who can tell you that you are good enough and wonderful, and, and you don't need someone else's approval. There are people like that out there. And if that means you want to find an Orthodox rabbi who can help you uh, uh, understand the importance of mental health, mm-hmm. if it means you want to find an Orthodox rabbi you, you can talk to about being homosexual, whatever the issue is, I promise you. And now with the internet, you can, as much as trolls can reach you, you can reach those people who can help you. Mm-hmm. And I would be very happy to in my, whatever my capacity is and my network is, I would be very happy to help people with, you know, learn who to go to for certain things. Number one, you're wonderful. Mm. You're wonderful. Whoever you are to listen, you're a wonderful person. If you choose to be a wonderful person and you do your best, it does not matter what any, and I'm using the word Phil because I was schooled by a Phil this week. I'll tell you later if you want to know, but Phil <laughs> decided to message me about how I did not know what I was talking about and I was causing problems and blah, blah, blah. I don't know who Phil is, but Phil has now become my catch-all phrase for any guy or, or person who gives me an unsolicited opinion. So any Phil that comes to you and tells you you're not doing right, nebuchadnezzar, the person, meaning they have nothing else to do but sit there and search the internet for people who they disagree with. I mean, honey you do not have to spend any time on those people and i will show you people to spend time with i promise if you believe that which means without swearing if i can help you in any way you can reach out to me and i'll try to connect you and i love what you said about we don't need approval or assurance from strangers on the internet and if that's what that person's comment makes you feel it's about accepting yourself and what you you know finding what feels right for you to start with and owning that and and another thing that I I think this is the last time I'm going to quote you I haven't been stalking you (laughs) something I loved I think you said it in another podcast that I listened to and I love this and I want every Jew to be able to say this and it's connected to your work for Chochmat Nashim that I want to talk about shortly where you're making change within the orthodox jewish community and it's a big it's a big uh it's a big challenge to 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 create these changes and you're doing it and you're and we're going to talk all about it but you said nobody else owns judaism like i own judaism as in you are the right person to do it because you own judaism now every jew should be able to say that sentence confidently right what advice would you give to someone who doesn't feel jewish enough who has what we call there's a word for it but there's an actual thing called jewish imposter syndrome have you heard of that oh my gosh no yes it's a thing we did like a whole episode on it um jew barrassment (laughs) (laughs) right so what what advice 
when you say, how can we get everybody listening to feel like nobody else owns Judaism, like I own Judaism? Because that's what it's all about, really. It's not about Phil on the internet. It's about Mm. you feeling confident enough to not take any notice of Phil. (laughs) Such an interesting question. You know, I don't know if it's because my parents did a good job or because God gave me like serious confidence, but I have never... Okay, I don't want to say never because who knows what I did as a young person, but (laughs) I don't let anyone else define Judaism for me. And so I recognize that not everyone is able to easily do that. But I'll say this nobody owns your Judaism. You're just as Jewish as everybody else. Love it. And anyone who wants to gatekeep, honestly, is doing exact opposite of what Judaism is meant to do. Listen, I know I'm privileged to know incredibly wonderful human beings who are fighting those systems that gatekeep and keep people out. Those who make conversion such a difficult process when it really isn't supposed to be halakhically speaking, Jewish, you know, uh, according to Jewish law, it's not such a difficult process. But people and, and I think we need to give also Jews a little bit of a break. We have a lot of collective trauma. Okay. And that collective trauma has led to us being extremely defensive. Okay. So first of all, recognize that Jews are by and large defensive and we can get not paranoid, but a little neurotic or whatever you want to say. And I don't mean that in a, in a, you know, Ross from friends kind of a way. I mean it. And in terms of like, it makes us defensive and and ready to fight. And sometimes you have to recognize what's in that other person, what's making them say that. Right. Mm. So don't necessarily, it's not you. Most of, by the way, even in interpersonal skills, 99% of the way someone speaks to you is not about you. It's about them. They're either having a bad day. They are feeling bad about themselves. They are frustrated with something. Like the way someone comes across to you is generally how they're feeling. And so even just knowing that will remove the insult, right? It'll remove that like personal part of it. At the same time, People are crappy sometimes and they say some awful things. You, you, you really, I hate saying you, you should, but we as people, first of all, need to understand where this is coming from. And second of all, need to understand that you are not bound by what they say. And also you that have a personal relationship with God. There is Nobody a, can change that. And there isn't a sort of right way to be Jewish. I know people will say, but what about halakha, the Jewish law? And if you don't keep every single element of halakha, yeah. but it really is just for Judaism to survive in the 21st century, it has to evolve and it is evolving. And there's, there's no right way to be Jewish. It's your Judaism, like you said. And I, I just Listen. love that. I want everybody to say, be able to say out loud, nobody else owns Judaism like I own Judaism. It's a great one. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy. Listen, so- I'm Orthodox. And so obviously I believe in God and I believe in the Ten Commandments and stuff like that. But that's how I connect. And that's how I express my Judaism, right? Now, if we're going to delve into anti-Semitism one second, now I'm going to make this hard. I find it very difficult when people express their Judaism by bashing Israel. Yes. I find and they define too. their Judaism as, well, they actually, ironically, they quote Hillel, but they quote half of his quote. <laughs> so they say, if they say, if not now, right? Some of them say, if they call themselves, if not now, but what they don't, they don't talk about, 
the beginning of it, which talks about being in Israel, which talks about being for the Jewish people, which talks about being free. So it's like, you can't disconnect. Um, and so I, while I recognize, I appreciate the people who wanna say that their Judaism is their human values, and they are. There's no question that Judaism is about human values. At the same time, you can't then just decapitate it, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to keep everything. You don't have to keep everything. Don't falsify where Judaism comes from. Don't decapitate and dismember Judaism. You can't do that. And then call yourself, I'm living my Jewish values. That's a problem. Am I being like, am yeah, I can you give an example? Because I think people might interpret decapitate in many different ways. What yeah, sure. I think for me, the, the, the one that hurts the most, to be honest with you, is watching what's happening on campuses in America, watching Jews who are so virally anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, they call themselves, that they are working against Israel and taking the things that happen here out of context, meaning they're 6,000 miles away, and they are talking as a Jew, meaning they're using their Judaism as the weapon mm -hmm. they're literally weaponizing judaism which is yeah. not okay yeah if you're yeah. using your judaism as a weapon you ain't living it right i lived in israel for a few years myself having visited it every summer and then in my early 20s i lived there i i personally say that you can't really have a talk about what it's like to live in israel or what israel is or what is what israel needs or, until you live there you know you are you are living there in our name. And, you know, I just think it must be incredibly frustrating to, to hit up. Just want to take a moment to invite you over to my place. That's my Jewish community, Smashing Life, a place for everyone, Jewish or Jewish, to feel welcome. It's a non-judgmental Jewish community that nourishes and empowers you and gives you everything you need to feel Jewish at heart and supercharged in life, hosted by me, Karen Cinnamon. I'm going to hand over to one of our members, Jeanette, uh, so you can hear what she has to say about Smashing Life. I love all the perks of being in Smashing Life, from the masterclasses to the resources to the discounts to the opportunity to crowdsource in the Facebook group. It all provides so many great benefits. We also have forums, recipes, book clubs, craft clubs, modern Jewish life experts, Zoom Kabbalah Shabbats, monthly expert masterclasses, social events, online and real life, discounts, gifts, and I could go on and on. It really is the place for every Jewish woman. It is super inclusive, super warm, um, and I invite you to come and join us and connect with me and hundreds of other like-minded Jewish women from all over the world. You'll find a beautiful community local to you and you'll also create new Jewish friends all over the world to share Jewish culture and joy with and learn Jewish rituals that will fill your life with purpose. So head on over to smashinglife.club and come join us. I want to bring it back to the, the incredible work you're doing, which is using your voice for good and for change in, in an area which I personally didn't know 
you know, I didn't know anything about the work you were doing and I was absolutely fascinated by it. So can you tell me a little bit about your advocacy and you advocate for so many things, you advocate for Israel, you advocate for women, anti-Semitism. I want to talk about anti-Semitism towards the end. I want to save time for that as well, because it's a big topic for my listeners and and how to engage with it safely and how to, how to react to it and not not be a silent voice because they don't know how to react. We'll come on to that. Talk to me about the work you're doing in the Orthodox community to advance the rights of religious women. So here's, it kind of circles back to what we were talking about before, which is dividing or separating between what people do and re- what religion is. And unfortunately, what we have in, uh, in Orthodoxy uh, is people who take things to an extreme. So for example, there's a value of, for lack of a better word, modesty, right? It's called sniut. And some people will define it as a woman needs to cover up, right? Like that's, that's what it means. Uh, what it really means is it's, it's called Kedoshim Tihiyu, which means be holy. So what does it mean to be holy? What does that mean? It's such a random thing to say. So I and many others maintain that being holy doesn't mean being hidden. Being holy means to behave in a way that is holy, that is um, honoring who you are as a person, honoring the person you're talking to, being aware of the situation. Because as we said before, the same act in a different situation is a completely different thing, right? Like, I I shouldn't say this too loud because my kids are somewhere, but even talking to your kids about what is sex, right? Like one thing, it's the same thing in one situation that is wholly wonderful in this and another situation can be, oh my God, what the hell is happening right now? And, and that's what Judaism is. It's the right thing at the right time in the right place. And so when we talk about keeping our Jewish values, so on the other hand, we have people who say, what I say is the right way. Like you said, people who, who gatekeep, and I'm going to tell you what you should do. So I rail against that on the right. Um, so what we see, for example, is women need to cover. Women need to not be in public. Women can't be in public positions. Um, And none of this is actually Jewish law at all whatsoever. There's obviously a a value of, as I said, modesty, but but to interpret it as we can't show pictures of women, which is what's been happening lately. Um, I would say the past 15 to 20 years specifically, um, publications have started to, they, they did start to, and now it's become commonplace, to not show images of women and girls. So you'll have Shabbat table, that is men and boys. You will have uh, candle lighting, you know, Eshet Chayel, when they sing to women, but it's just men and boys and candles. And so what they've done in their desire for quote unquote holiness and modesty, they've literally erased women. And I will say in my name, they have uh, removed the balance and the beauty that God put in the world by creating male and female to begin with. And so what, once, you, once you take one thing to an extreme, you imbalance the whole thing and you have a world that is sheker, which is lies. It's false. Mm. And, and it affects everything. It affects everything. So right now, I will say, what do I advocate for? And first of all, I advocate for normalcy in Judaism, right? For, for just being totally normal. I know it sounds so simple, but it's true. Um, without going to extremes, extremes are destructive. Mm. Whatever extreme you're talking about, it's destructive. Right, left, front and center, it's well, center's good, but it's it's um, it's destructive. And so when you take a one value and you hold it above all the rest, so then you're losing all of these. 
whenever you raise one thing, you're always dropping something else. And people forget that. So when you make modesty your religion, and that's what basically happened. So now they have um, uh, buses where women have to sit in the back in the name of modesty and holiness. And they, oh yeah. And then they have health clinics that don't show images of women and girls. So tell me, how are you going to teach about your body? How are you going to teach about breast cancer? How are you going to teach about uh, pregnancy and, and labor and delivery health without showing images of women? And that's just the, the positive side. But what happens, what happens when you remove women? So what are you saying? There's a message there. Men, women are bad. Women are taboo. Women have to be hidden. There's something bad and sinful about women. And by the way, it's not just harmful to women. It's devastating to boys and men. Devastating. And I wrote about this because I've actually interviewed social workers. I've interviewed rabbis. I've interviewed young men who say the emphasis on hyper, like this hyper modesty, where you can't talk to girls and you can't look at girls and you can't have, obviously, we don't look at the pink elephant. What's, what are you going to do? What are you going to think about is pink elephant? Yes. But it's true. And so I have spoken to teenage boys who are addicted to porn because they are told and don't 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 and it it Mm. is a psychological phenomenon that messes with you and they have tremendous guilt and pain because they're kept from having a normative relationship with females and it's devastating and i will go so far as to say that it's destroying the ideal of a jewish family and so I work against that by talking about it, by writing about it, by speaking about it, by explaining, by going to experts, by showing that it's not Jewish law and it's extreme. Nobody has to follow an extremist. Like, what the hell? And also, Where do com- we get to? Are there conversations about mental health as well? You know, you talked about not understanding breast cancer. Very. Well. What about the mental implications on, on everybody? You know, obviously mental health is a big, big thing now in the last few years. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, you know, it's, 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 more, it's more of a discussion point. Is, is it happening is, is it, or is that a taboo subject in the Orthodox community? Because this all relates to mental health, doesn't it? Well, you have made a good connection but a lot of people aren't ready to make that connection, right? Mm-hmm. They're not ready to make a connection between my restrictive lifestyle and pills that the kids are taking. Mm-hmm. They're not there yet, not mm-hmm. willing to do that necessarily. However, I will tell you, remember when we spoke about finding a good rabbi or a good leader uh, that, um, that can help you with certain things. So I'm yes. very proud to know a wonderful rabbi, uh, Rabbi Yoni Rosenzweig, who lives in Bet Shemesh. And he literally this week just came out with a book um, or I shouldn't say this week. He literally just came out with a book on at mental health. At the time of recording. <laughs> yeah, at the time of recording. Um, he, he came out with a book, what, the first of its kind, which deals with Jewish law and mental health. And Ooh. everything from, it's it's Well, let's link to it in the show notes. You'll send me the link to, to find out yes. more um, and we can add that in because, yeah, well, that's great to know that that, that that conversation is happening. And the other thing I was thinking as you were telling me all this, obviously I've heard, heard you know, you talk about this and been researching your work. But one thing that I was thinking is, how did we get here? Is you know, there's obviously a superiority in a sexism in the everyday world. Never mind the orthodox world. Is it just in a a sort of well, this is your place and this is my place. This is the where the males belong. This is where the females belong. You know, just the sort of human instinct, even you know, coming into play with what Jewish modesty is kind of providing them with. I think there's two things. I think number one, what you're saying is, yeah, a hundred percent. This is you know, human human nature culture. But there's also a fear. 
And, yeah. and we have to acknowledge this fear, right? So as we said before, Jews are a paranoid people for a good reason. People yeah. do want to kill us. Like it's not, it's yeah. not out of, our, out of nowhere. <laughs> we've gone through pogroms. We've gone through the Farhud. We've gone through all of, you know, persecution for 2000 years. And we are very naturally fearful of outside influences. Yes. Okay. So when you have a shamarani is the way you say it in Hebrew, which I guess would be like um, a security, like a, yeah, but they're like, they're like, they, they're, I guess it would be conservative with a small C. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a conservative, right? So yeah. I watch and I'm careful and I'm, I'm very reserved. So when you have a, a, a like an ultra Orthodox community, so they're very wary of the outside. And, and by the way, not everything's great on the outside world. Let's just, let's be Absolutely. honest about it. Right. Yeah. Like, so if they're saying, I don't, if they're watching the outside world become more and more promiscuous, more and more permissive, however you feel about that, we're not. Mm-hmm. Here to judge, but if someone who is valuing modesty and valuing sexual propriety in marriage, right? So when you have a culture that is much more permissive, it's sexually permissive, it's body open and girls on cars selling whatever. So then you're like, whoa, that is something I don't want in my house. And you close doors and you close windows and you have your own media. And so the more that someone else is permissive, the more I'm going, and if I don't want that in my home, so then I'm going to be more careful. And what I see in the Jewish community, Orthodox community is a boomerang effect, right? So they're going one way, I'm going to go to the other extreme, which is exactly opposite of Judaism. Judaism is always about the, col- the golden mean, it's called, like, like the middle ground, right? For example, there's nothing in life that is enjoyable that's forbidden in Judaism. Like, yeah, we can eat pig, but for example, we can drink, we can eat, we can, we have sex, we enjoy life, but we do it at the right time in the right place. Yeah. And we don't go to excess because we believe in the middle ground. And so when you start allowing everything or forbidding everything, that's when everything goes nuts. That's when you're in bad territory. And so unfortunately, some people have forgotten that and they just kind of created these rules that are they're destructive unfortunately they're causing tremendous tremendous damage to the point where they don't trust science not everybody i'm i'm yes, being of course i'm One, saying them the, you're know, in there yeah you know i don't trust science or i don't trust uh, uh any outside influence i don't learn english because i and and what happens is you you are so protective that you wind up doing damage in other ways it's a real problem I see. So you're trying to open people's eyes. Is it a case of you you must have obviously had some kind of experiences that made you say, I need to, yeah. to make some change here. And do you, have you found a sort of army of people, a big tribe, like you're all trying to make change together? Do you feel like you're talking to deaf ears? Do you feel like two steps forward, one step back? Talk to me about the change that has happened or not happened and the challenges and how you're feeling about, about your work. So I would say you're right. There was there was one specific, I wouldn't say an incident, rather it was a, a an issue that I was thrown into. My aunt was being, my husband's aunt was being denied a divorce. And in Judaism, if a man does not want to give a divorce, the woman is stuck. And what does that mean she's stuck? It means, first of all, she's stuck in marriage. She's halakhically, Jewishly married to him. And any children she has with another Jewish man are considered mamzerim, which is, loosely translated as bastard, but it really is a very terrible status that nobody wants. They can't marry another Jew. It's a big problem. And so if the man doesn't agree to give 
the wife forgets. So then she is, she's in a really bad situation. And so like, unless you know someone who's been in that situation or you're in that situation, you just really don't know about it. Um, so I, because she lived in America and I lived here in Israel and her husband had come here, the case was here in the Israeli rabbinic court and I wound up going to court for her. And I experienced what it is for a woman to try and simply be free of a man who didn't, was he, he was living in China. He wasn't even here anymore. And he didn't need, he didn't want to be married to her. He just wanted to torture her. Yes. And I saw my Judaism that I love so much that is based on true morals and true values and, and justice being used to harm someone. And that kind of started me off on this. Something is wrong here, right? Something's not right. And when at the same time that that was going on, I was also living in a city where the extremists were kind of taking over and images of women and girls were disappearing from stores, from billboards and from health clinics. And I'm like looking around and I'm like, what is happening here? And then one day my daughters came home from school and they told me that they were told to sit in the back of the bus because that's where girls belong. And I was like, okay, I guess. I need to open my mouth because like, I, you know, I guess like I, with my grandparents were survivors. My mom's parents were Holocaust survivors. And, and the biggest thing that they taught me and probably through like just osmosis was like the worst thing in the world is a bystander. Like yes. if something's happening in front of you and you do nothing, that is a betrayal of the values, the human values that you're supposed to have. And certainly the Jewish values you're supposed to have. And so I just started writing a lot. But what I was seeing, what was happening, I started going to members of Knesset, to rabbis, to advocates, to all types of people who could help me help my aunt, first of all. And second of all, like, see what's going on in Judaism here. And the more I wrote, the more people from around the Jewish world responded to me saying, I see this too. I have this happening here. And I realized that it's not just happening in my small corner of the Jewish world, but rather the whole Jewish world is starting to go to this extreme to the right. And I as you asked about whether I have a community, I have been very, very blessed that people in Israel, uh, we started Chochmat Hashim, actually there were seven of us total. How many uh, years ago were, was this Was this kind of fire in your belly? Oh, you started? put me on the spot. I think no, it was more or two, less, like three years, seven years, no, just to give context uh, to sort of how recently we're you've in two, seen. We're in 2022 right now, right? Yeah. So I think it's about 10 years. 10 years, years. you started seeing this, you know, okay. Yeah. So you, you started connecting with, with these people, this, this community. And, and we've grown because look, people, as I said, people are very afraid. They're suspicious. They don't, they don't. So when they, when I started talking, you know, I was very much to either people immediately, because people who've seen it, get it. People who've seen it, they're like, yeah, I see it. I know exactly what you're talking about. Other people are like, that doesn't happen by me. I love it. When people tell me that doesn't happen by me. Because uh, women, men, or oh, both, yeah, yeah, yeah both. both. Yeah. And inevitably, I get within four to six weeks, I get you will not believe what happened. Like, I promise you, I'm going to believe what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you open their like, eyes to what's yes, going on, yeah, yes, exactly. And so, That's, yeah. over the years, we have literally thousands of men and women and men, men and women, women and men around the Jewish world who see what's happening and want a healthier Judaism that their children can grow it up in and feel good about. Right. So thank God we have a big community and we're fighting. We're fighting here in the Knesset today. I was in a Knesset meeting. I just wanted to jump off the roof. Like I, I, (sighs) listen, anyone who's out there who cares about this, 
please join us. And I don't mean join Chochmat Najim. I mean, join the fight for a healthier central Judaism because we need your voice. Whatever you see, whatever you, in your shul, in your synagogue, in your school, whatever it is that you can influence, everyone has influence somewhere. Everyone has influence somewhere. Just make the decision that you want to be part of the solution and already our movement will be stronger towards a healthier, balanced Judaism. Action takers. So someone notices something they want to take action let's say like you say whatever it is they notice something synagogue they notice something in their kids Jewish school what mm-hmm. what's the what what's where step? do they go right yeah well what's yeah, the step question. is it to just open a conversation you know people and this relates also to you know so many topics where you want to use your voice you just don't know how it's safer like yes. you say to just stay still and be a bystander so right. how do we not be bystanders So the first thing I would tell you, if it's bothering you, it's definitely bothering somebody else. And if that other person isn't where you are yet, you can help them get there by explaining to them. A lot of what I've done over the years is explain why something is specifically a problem. I have had to explain. It's like Ruth Bader Ginsburg once said, um, a lot of my job is being a kindergarten teacher because she (laughs) was just explaining to judges why discrimination against women was a problem. And I related so much to that statement of hers because for years I just kept repeating myself like yeah. I just kept to different people in different ways, explaining to them why this is bad. But thank God now we have enough of a, a, a I forgot what it's called, a tipping point where people understand it. So if you f- see something that, that's wrong and damaging, first of all, identify it. What is it and why is it bad, right? There's something going on in your kid's school, whether it's um, they don't bring in women teachers or there's an imbalance with something or wh- it whatever be it is. an anti-Semitism thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But whatever You're, it is, you've identify it. it. Yeah. Identify who it's harming. Potentially think of a, an alternative. Find other people who, who feel the same way and make a game plan. Even if it's two other people, sit down together, write it down. This is the problem this is who it harms, this is what we could do differently. And think of a way to present it. Who are the people that need to hear that? Is it a principal? Is it a teacher? Is it a board of ed? Is it police? Like, I don't know what what level we're talking about, but identify who you need to tell and what action you want taken. Because as soon as you start to like, figure this stuff out, then your path will become clearer. Like you'll, you'll realize, okay, that's really not going to help, but this could potentially help. Or like that person's not going to listen, but that person has influence on that person. Sometimes there's a lot of, and I'm not a chess player, but there's a lot of sometimes thinking about who has the power, the voice, the influence and bringing them to your side and figuring out the right language to use to get that person to hear what you have to say exactly exactly oh so much golden golden advice there that can be used like you say or if if you're experiencing or seeing anti-semitism or women being mistreated in a, in a jewish space or or anything that's important anything. to you you can mm-hmm. be a change maker and Absolutely. it's empowering and wow you've started a movement so talk to me about some of the changes that that you've suggested and what's kind of moved the needle what's what's what talk to me about some of these changes that you've made so sometimes people just need to hear an alternative right so what happens is we all become normalized to things things that we wouldn't have thought normal 10 years ago are normal to us now or things that we thought 10 years ago were okay we now realize are not okay because someone let us see the damage that it caused. For example, 
I, we used to, we all used to use the word, I'm dating myself, but we all used to word, use the word retarded all the time. Oh, that's so retarded. We used to, I would never say it now. Yeah. I understand why it's harmful. And of course, I never intended to harm anyone, but that, that's all the point. It right? was the ignorance. You didn't know yeah. because no one pointed it out. No one pointed it out. No one explained it. And if someone had yelled at me and been like horrible about it, I, I would probably have gotten defensive. I didn't mean it. Yeah. But when someone explains it and shows you and gives you the opportunity to change, so then that change will last, right? I think that's something else that people forget is that if, if someone changes because you've berated them, because you've made them feel horrible, because you've basically made them feel like if they don't do something, they won't be accepted. That change isn't coming from a place of learning and growth. But believe me, I've had to have conversations with people who I wanted to, I would rather just punch in the face, to be honest with you. But that doesn't help. It doesn't make change. And I know that it's very easy to say on this side, but I promise you, I've been there. Wherever you feel you are, I've been there. <laughs> I've had to shut my mouth. I've made the wrong call. Um, so I would say that change is something you can do if you're really focused on change. If you're focused on parading someone else and making them feel like garbage, then you're not going to make the change. And, and, and that's something yeah. we have to ask ourselves. Yeah. You know, we have to be honest with ourselves sometimes is, is what's my goal here? Yeah. What's my goal? How am I going to make that change? So we succeeded in showing damage, changing people's, showing them the issue and allowing people another path. So for example, we create guides and resources. Um, okay, so now I see a problem. How do I, like what you asked me, how, how do I address it? So we give people a little bit of a path, how to address it. We give them tools, the right words to use, which is super important because not everybody has the right words and not everybody can, can say the thing that they, they, they know that they feel, but they can't say it. We've also, when a resource didn't exist, for example, when I'm just gonna use from our own work, People came to us and they said, well, we really want to use pictures of Orthodox women, but they don't exist. Like if you were to Google Orthodox Jew, you'll see men. men. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like this one Hasidic woman in Brooklyn pushing a stroller. <laughs> this poor woman, like everybody yeah. caught the same picture of her. <laughs> so we said, you know what? You're right. We can't expect you to do something if you don't have those pictures. And we created the Jewish Life Photo Bank, which has now, uh, I think, about a thousand images Willing of women, couples families, so that people who do recognize the importance of using these images can use them. But also, it's taken them 20 years to normalize. Remember what I said, something that wasn't normal is now normal. It's taken them 20 years to normalize the erasure of women. And we want to push that back. Because when you see these images of couples, of families, of women who are just being in life, you're like, that's not so scary. That's yeah. not immodest. That's yeah. not... so." I'm showing an alternative to that norm where people can make that choice and say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm here, I'm not there. And that is so important in the change that you want to make. I think what we have, what we have in America, especially, we spoke about polarization. I either have to be open borders, I'm just using an example, or I have to be pro-guns, right? Like there's, there's just so little nuance and there's so little options to just be can I just be like a normal person who has different opinions and like you know <laughs> like it doesn't exist and so uh, providing that middle ground providing that opportunity and a community of people who feel the same way is really important if you want even if it's in your neighborhood watch or whatever it is that you're doing right like 
take what I'm saying and scale it down to your issues. Showing that you don't have to be completely, even if it's anti-Semitism, you don't have to love everything Israel does and say Israel or die. And you don't have to be Israel shouldn't exist. And yes. I think that's the only options that people are being shown. And that is a very big problem, a very big problem. Mm. I want to, I just want to bring it around to um, another issue that I know a lot of our listeners feel sort of unsure about how to take an action step is, and that is about effectively engaging and advocating for Jews, whether it be online, when they see their friends sharing things that they just blatantly and, and, you know, anti-Jewish, but maybe their friends don't even realize what they're doing. Or it may be a comment on a post that's deeply hurtful to them. You know, I know there's no point um, taking on, you know, people that don't want to listen, haters, but we're talking about the sort of middle ground, the people that are willing to listen. What advice do you have to effectively engage and advocate for Jews? Um, And, and, you know, using your framework, because that's what it is of kind of, you know, think of a solution, think of, you know, <laughs> I, I was right. listening to everyone saying, well, how come, you know, is it about yeah. producing a guide, how to be a good ally? Or like, what what would you say to, to, to that? So first of all, I, I, I want to acknowledge where people are because I'm in Israel and I'm not in campus and I'm older. And I, you know, I, I recognize that for people who are on campus or are in progressive spaces, they are surrounded by people who are virulently anti-Israel, who are who believe wholeheartedly that to be pro-justice, you have to be pro-Palestine river to the sea. I recognize that you're in a space that can be very, potentially you're in a space that can be very, very difficult and scary. And I just wanna say that. That said, I think that, first of all, you have a community online and you should use those resources that are available to you. Whether it is individuals who you follow whether it's uh, something like the Tel Aviv Institute, which has a lot of, they, they will they'll be willing to help you find truth. You know, you want to ask a question about an issue. I need answers to an issue. It's a big problem. Like you, you actually said in your question, something very interesting. You, you said, how did you put it? Basically, you know, you can't make certain people, you can't make change. Yeah. So that's, well, you don't want to spend so tool. much energy on someone that's just never going to, see things leave them work you know but you can like you know your friends maybe who are innocently reposting Bella Hadid's uh you know something or other because they believe that's wrong what what you know someone killing a brutally harming a Palestinian child which it is but you know maybe we want to have a conversation with them because that's that feels hurtful and where do we first of all that's sorry that's so important who do you not bother with is super important. Like we said about the fills in the beginning, like there's yeah. just some people that are not worth your time. Don't bother. Yeah. But if it's someone that you know, that you trust, you know, that you, that you believe you can influence that you feel is being fed bad information. So I always try to ask questions like this. Like, let's say the conversation is, um, you know, the, the problem is the occupation and Israel should get out of the West Bank and the security, the apartheid walls should be taken down. So I often say like, Hey, do you know where that wall is? Or do you know when that wall was built? Can we talk about that? And they'll be like, either they'll say, I don't know, or they'll say, it doesn't matter. Or they'll say, um, you know, there are variations. If they're saying something like it doesn't matter, so then you already know there's no point. 
because whatever you say, they're going to see from a lens of hatred and, and you can stop. But if they're like, actually, I don't really know. So you can see, you know, that wall was actually built after so many suicides, uh, sorry, suicide bombings in Israel that killed hundreds of Israelis. Um, and that wall took down the suicide terrorism by about 95%. And so when you start talking about actual facts and context and when things actually occurred, or if they say something about Gaza and you say something like, hey, do you know that all the Jews left Gaza in 2005? Do you know that Israel unilaterally withdrew in 2005 and gave millions of dollars of infrastructure to the Palestinians in the hopes that it would become the beginning of a Palestinian state? To, to kind of test the waters and to see if we could live side by side. And unfortunately then Hamas then took over a year later. And since then we've unfortunately been living side by side with terrorists and they actually terrorize their own people worse. You know, the, the, their own people are the worst, uh, are, are the ones who suffer the most. And so when you come in and not start screaming about, no, oh, but rather you start to talk rationally. Yes. So those people who you can influence, you sh you should hopefully be able to bring them into a conversation, a rational conversation, and hopefully they'll start to say, oh, actually, I didn't know that. Because if you Google stuff now, unfortunately, you're going to find Al Jazeera first. You're going to find, it's actually one of my most depressing. If you ask me, Shoshana, what depresses you? So I'll say, let me tell you. And I'll say one of those things is that when you Google, it's so hard to find actual factual yeah. information about the conflict because it's been taken over by those parties who are interested and funded by let's say Qatar who yes. is a very very big uh uh funder of both terrorism and Al Jazeera um I think Al Jazeera is actually Qatarian Qatarian so so I would say go in with facts and if you don't know facts get to know your facts and if you don't Absolutely. know where to get to know your facts ask us so where do you get your facts from well, I'm old, so I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> but if you want to look something up, like what year is, is something happened or, you know, I mean, because that would be really, really useful question. to to maybe right. think about and send send me something that we can link to, because I know a lot of people That's listening a good idea. Will, wanna, will want to um, will want to use the strategy that you've just come up with, which is fantastic, but that might be a stumbling block for them. So might that's be hard help for them. them, right? Yeah. So maybe okay. between now and when the, when the episode goes live, you can, you can share that with me and then we can link to that in the show yeah. notes. So hopefully if you're listening right now, just click on those show notes <laughs> and find, um, you know, facts to, to help with, um, you know, conversations idea. about Israel. We'll get that ready for you. So we could talk for hours, you know, we've been going for almost an hour and I said to Shana, you know, I like to keep these episodes the length of a commute, 30 to 40 minutes, but I wanted to go over because it's, this is just such important conversations we're having here, but we were, we are going to wrap up and I want to wrap up. This is the Your Jewish Life, Your Way podcast after all. And I want to ask you, what does Your Jewish Life, Your Way mean to you, Shoshana? You're making me all emotional. Um, my Jewish life, my way. Listen, I, I, I live in Israel and it was my choice. So I think that living in the Jewish land with the Jewish people has to be the number one part of living a Jewish life for me. Um, and obviously having my own personal relationship with the creator, God, whatever you want to call it, is super important to me. Uh, it was a choice I made as a teen. And like we said before, nobody can take that from me. Um, and, 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 and that changes every single day. It doesn't mean that I do everything right every single day. It means that I have a relationship and that relationship is really important to me. And I think the third aspect would be honestly being the best 
person and Jew that I can be is so, so, so important to me. Like being able to help people, being able to know that at the end of the day, I fulfilled my potential and I did what I could to make the world better than it was before me is super important to me. And, and I think that's the answer and because, and for me. Because- you're the founder which we will link to um because obviously i would have loved to talk for hours about that but you know lots to find out about that i have to ask you one final question i was lying i said that was the final question (laughs) this is the final question which is what does it mean to you shoshana to be a jewish woman are you really gonna make me cry Um, that's okay you can cry (laughs) being a jewish woman i think means that I feel a tremendous responsibility to to continue the chain of Jews that have been since Sarah and Abraham recognized you know the creator and recognized that they had a mission in life I think it's it's interesting people talk about them being the most most the first mono monotheists but I actually think of them as the first people who said there's a purpose to me being here and I need to figure that out. And for me, that's really um, a motivating factor in my life is like, okay, but what am I meant to do here? Why am I here? What am I doing? How am I fixing? It's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a motivating factor for me. So being a Jew means making my history and, and my, the, the people behind me, my ancestors proud and paving the way for my descendants to continue to be able to be Jewish, um, but also to be, happy and comfortable in the world and that means everything from taking care of the environment to making israel the best that it can be you know i want israel not to just exist but to be a shining light for for the world and and we need to be better everything we need to be better and i see myself as part and parcel of making the jewish people in the jewish state better and i just ask god to help me do that that was beautiful. I, I love listening to you, Shoshana. And I think Thank people you. will listen to this episode, not just once, but over and over. So Thank much you. to take from it. So thank you so much for being a guest today on the podcast, Shoshana. And I know we're going to so honored touch each other in different ways over the years. Absolutely. And, uh, this was great. I really appreciated it. My pleasure. Thank you. If you want my free guide to how to stand up to anti-Semitism in 2022 in a safe, effective way, just go to yourjewishlife.co slash stop. That's yourjewishlife.co slash S-T-O-P. It's a really great guide. It's really concise, take you a few minutes to read, but it's got tips for dealing with overt acts of anti-Semitic hate, as well as microaggressions. There's lots of resources, additional books, Instagram accounts and podcasts, and it's just a really, really empowering resource that everyone needs to own. It's my How to Stand Up to Anti-Semitism in a Safe, Effective Way guide. It's at yourjewishlife.co slash stop.